Okay. Ready to jump in? Yeah. Absolutely. A cheese sandwich walks into a bar and orders a beer. Bartender says, sorry, we don't serve food here. Uh, I went out for curry the other week. Yeah. Can't tell you what I had, though. No, because you told the joke last week. Did I? Oh, man. Yes. What was it? So you obviously landed with McLeod. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't tell you what I ate because uh, they made me sign a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Great. Thanks for your continuing support. Wasn't funny the first time. Wasn't funny the second time. <laughs> this is the problem. There was that sweet spot where I thought the jokes were funny and could remember them, but that sweet spot was about <laughs> six months. <laughs> it's gone now. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Rafe Blunford. I'm Ben Smith. And I'm Ewan McLeod. This is Season 21, Episode 3, and this week we're talking about the changing faces of social media. Welcome back, gentlemen. Good to speak to you again. Hello, Ben. Hello, Ewan. Yo, hello. Hello, audience. So, new season, new format. So, chat at the end. It's like a mullet. It's all business up front and fun <laughs> at the back. So, uh, that's how we'll go now. But we should just address the fact that Ewan McLeod is still on the road. And this week, Ewan McLeod, you are in... Riyadh. Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Where was the last time? You Muscat. were in Muscat, yeah. Man. You know, the man with more jobs than we care to count is hopping his way around the world, just bringing financial services joy to all he meets. That's it. Digital transformation. Digital transformation. Certainly my life has transformed having met you. I just there we go. can't quantify how much better it is. <laughs> so let's just jump straight into it today. So I it. woke up with a deep passion to talk about social media today. So we are going to do mm. that episode because oh, ben. it's a world where some things have changed since we last recorded. <sighs> And I appreciate yes. people won't want to rehash necessarily all of the old stuff. So I think today is about how we've experienced it and how we, mm. what we're doing social media-wise in the hope that might be interesting or useful for people in, in terms of how they're mediating their own. Yes. So let's start off with a simple one, you McLeod. Social media, right. what does you and McLeod's use Mm. read and write of social media look like as of here we are today now today yes mid 2023 i would anticipate that it's 90 something 90 very high 90s linkedin i am a massive massive user of linkedin that is my social media platform of choice now why are you smiling massive massive something i don't know very very corporate okay good i, I would accept nothing less of you okay right now i i was a regular twitter instagram guy mm. i'm not so for discussion yes not now facebook i just I'd left behind for quite quite a while i mean every time ever since you you kept on saying you can get it on facebook but don't encourage them you know i thought yeah that's, i just don't really use it i was a facebook anti-influencer yes yes exactly then i do use most days almost every day be real and for people in our audience who don't know what that is because i think that's legitimate don't panic i didn't know what it was until relatively recently give us the cliff notes version and so Cliff Notes version, it was, I think it was last year it was announced or it launched and it blew up as a really interesting thing. The idea is that it will prompt you, send you a push notification once you've signed up saying, take a photo right now, right now. And it takes a front photo of the selfie cam 
and it takes a photo of whatever you're pointing at, right? Okay. So the idea is to make things authentic. I think that was the, the concept. Yeah, because everyone's posing for hours to try and get the right, apparently, Instagram shot. Be real is the, was, was meant to be the antidote to that. And I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. We'll come back to all of these in a moment. But can I just ask the slightly delicate question? If you were somewhere where you were unable to take a photograph, like, mm. I want to say toilet, which probably suggests to you, you know, where I am in my parenting journey. But, uh, <laughs> you know, what if you're with a client or you're somewhere where you can't take a photo? Like, how long have you got before you lose or fail in practice you can basically you're just late right okay. so the idea is you try and do it at the same time as your friends are doing right but you know i'm often meetings i'm doing stuff you know so i'll see the proof notification then i go oh yes i better do it now there is just me my two brothers every four or five months will use it it's me and my friend tom and thanks guys by the way thanks very much to both of you for not using it i did invite you yeah, you did it once. I think I tried it once, and then I was, like, busy. <laughs> it was, right. Essentially, it, it, it was a machine for injecting stress in my life, because it was always okay, like, well, hey, so, you know you had five things to do. Here's the sixth one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really easy. now. So often, because I'm traveling, the time zones are a bit weird and wonky. So now and again, I'll take a photo in the dark, right, you know, because nice. I'm in bed. But I, I'll make sure I do it so that Tom can then, I'll just say, you know, muscat at night or whatever. I think that's quite funny. I don't think he thinks it's that funny. I don't know. But it's a good way of, I keep in touch with my friend Tom that way. So I can see what he's doing. Sometimes he's at work. Sometimes he's riding a bike somewhere. He's maybe with his children. It's just, and then now and again, that will prompt me to then use WhatsApp. Are we counting WhatsApp as social media? I'm going to ask Rafe Blanford because I consider his uh, decision on this definitive. The Oracle. But for the purposes of this part, I'm going to say no, because I think that's yeah. messaging, not social network. Is that right, Rafe? I think I consider WhatsApp what I'd call dark social. Oh, there you go. There you go. Oh, dear. I knew he was going to make it more complicated. Why can't he just say yes or no? <laughs> and that's because the kind of messaging applications do do a lot of social-like activity in terms of updating on friends, but it's sort of not so much in the public domain. I'd also say that WhatsApp has added things like group features, which have become right, that's, more yeah, social-like. Yeah. And okay. that's a trend that we've seen more broadly. I want to touch on that in a minute, actually, because I use that yeah. quite a bit. But so you and McLeod, are 90% LinkedIn, 10% Be Real. So is there anything else? So LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Some dark social. Yes, I, I'm a dark social user. Let's jump go. over to Mr. Rafe Blanford, who I imagine... Yeah, come on, Rafe. Imagine we'll have some kind of closed group for gentry landowners to discuss stock fences and, uh, you know, peasants and rent. And basically what I'm saying is Rafe lives a different world to us. So, Rafe, this is all supposed to be baseline, but what's your social media usage? Well, I thought we weren't making jokes about me this uh, season, so congratulations. What? No, we said we would try not to make jokes about you. I'm just yes. not trying quite as hard as I might. Right. So, yeah, three episodes in. Excellent. I'm still across quite a few platforms. I would say the biggest ones I use from a personal point of view is Instagram and Reddit, but I'm also using LinkedIn and Twitter to some extent for work which I'm sure we're going to talk about in more detail. Yes. And it sort of then you know, depends where you start to draw the lines, because I have tried out some of the other ones and some of the emergent ones. But the reality is those are the three that probably get most of my attention. And then sort of secret shame using TikTok quite a bit <gasps> in read-only mode. Right. The rest are read and write. Have you got an account there or are you just... Oh, yes. Yeah. I get a disturbing number of Lego videos 
dog and cat videos. And then some of the uh, more typical trends on TikTok also pop up in my For You feed. Secret shame. This is why whenever Rafe is trying to explain something to us, he's always dancing and pointing at imaginary graphics on the screen. (laughs) Just for the listeners who are listening in audio only, I'm emulating that. You'll just have to imagine that in your mind's eye. It's nicer in your imagination than it is in real life, I can tell you. Mm. So I'm sure we'll come back to some of those, but what about you, Ben? What's your kind of default usage? So I gave up Facebook a while ago. You still have an account? Mm, Actually, I was about to say no, and I suppose the the honest answer is yes, I do have an account, but I only have an account because for a little while I was playing with an Oculus Quest VR headset, which required one to log in. And so it's a source of constant frustration that our school has a parents group and sometimes conversations that you need to know. Like It's not about, but you need to know when the event is and when the fair is and you need to contribute to the collections of the teachers. And sometimes those things only happen on Facebook. So I did use that account for that the other day, but you know, kind of I actively avoid it. I put no details in. I try to leave it as a dead account as possible. So right. I'm not really a traditional Facebook user by that stretch, a deeply reluctant one. But I stopped using Facebook a long time ago and I have talked about that on this show mm. a long time ago. Perhaps new listeners won't know, but I basically said it got to the point where just pre-Brexit, during the Brexit time, that irrespective of your politics, I got really disillusioned with seeing how polarizing the conversations and the people's behaviors were on there. And I, you know, kind of, it made me sad that so many people I liked and respected were either being fooled by disinformation. And I mean, like reposting material that was outright offensive. I don't mean having a different political opinion to me. I mean, sort of right-wing, xenophobic, racist sort of content that they were being trapped into by sort of starting off with, oh, that's a nice picture of a Union Jack flag. And the next minute, it all got a bit unpleasant. <laughs> Damn me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of one minute you're posting sort of, you know, hooray for the troops and, you know, respect the veterans. The next minute it's, yeah, well, we won't go there. But it made me sad, so I left. And I was a really, really enthusiastic Twitter user. And I had loads of lists and everything curated because I found all loads of journalists. I really liked to read some tech journalists, some mainstream political news journalists. I had different lists with you guys in it and all kind of the Yay. people I knew through kind of people that we'd met at mobile events and people who used to be bloggers with us and that kind of community and friends and even uh, increasingly work colleagues were starting to be on there as well. And so, you know, I, use, I used it a lot and you used TweetDeck, which gives you lots of different columns so you could have lots of different views of the world all at the same time. And I loved it. And again, we'll talk about Elon in a moment, but Mm. the very short version is that whilst I still have an account, I've very deliberately not used it since he took over Twitter. I'm not a very enthusiastic LinkedIn user, although I do have an account for work purposes because I find some of the performative posting about, you know, just walking into the office today to do another great day's job. Oh, you know, if, if you can believe, you can sell. What's yeah. wrong with that? Come on. I was walking down the road the other day and I saw a man in a ditch. He'd been knocked off his bike and it made me think about selling things to people. You know, it's, oh, it's just the most tasteless, obnoxious nonsense. <laughs> so I do, I do have it. I use it. I use it reluctantly. But actually, the two social media that I am probably on most, Mastodon, which I enjoy trying out. And I'll talk to you a bit more about in a minute because I've got some different experiences there. Yes, we want to hear more about that. And Instagram, which I am there reluctantly, and that's my kind of guilty pleasure because Instagram is where I follow a few family or friends where that's the only place I'll get photos and news updates from them of the kind I probably would have got on Facebook. But also, 
I follow loads of brands of things I like. So, you know, sports cars and watches and consumer stuff. And it's like flicking through the glossy pages of the Sunday magazines, you know, that come with the newspapers where it's just sort of aspirational nonsense. If you just want to, you know, kind of kill some time looking at nice things, there's a whole bunch of guys I follow on there who post really, you know, nice, rare watches and things. I was getting into mechanical watches. You know, that's nice, but I'm consume only. You know, I don't think I've posted an Instagram picture for years. And I don't think I would bother either because I think what you were saying earlier, Ewan, is right, which is everybody's photos on there look so nice. All the people, particularly all the people I'm following, tend to be mm. influencers. If they're not mates on holiday, they're professionals and they, they're using, you know, they're posting pictures that look really well, nice, crafted and honed. And you know how fussy I am about content production. Uh, mm. So I just don't do it. But I suppose the thing I wanted to sort of say to you guys is, I have felt, so, I mean, as we record this, the Reddit issue is blowing up. And again, for the uninitiated, there is a big falling out between the people currently leading Reddit, the social network there, and many of its most enthusiastic users. And moderators. And moderators, uh, although I was counting them as users because they're unpaid and they're members of a community rather than being employed by Reddit, Hmm. where on other social networks, moderators tend to be staff who do stuff. Right. And I've grossly oversimplified, and if you have any background on that issue, you'll probably think I've missed out a ton of detail, and I have deliberately. But the line I was trying to draw there was, it feels to me like we're at the money spoils everything stage of social networks. And to varying extents, all those things that I really loved feel a bit a bit ruined at the moment. It really stung a bit, actually, to get off Twitter, because I've had to unlearn the habit of 12 years, 11 years. Rafe? Yeah, I would also go... As far as to say, while it's driven by a lot of money, what we're seeing is kind of growth marketing come to the forefront of a lot of these and somewhat away from community, particularly when it comes to following friends and families and the rise of the kind of algorithmic feed, which you know has been seen in various places, has changed, I think, the default experience of some social media. And, you know, those of us who have been listening a long time may remember something like Jaiku, which was a social media network <laughs> from the early days when it was very much about community yeah. following friends and family. Is that still on your website, Rafe? It is somewhat embarrassingly. It's yes. long gone. Yes. Check out rafeblanford.com. You'll see the logo for Jaiku. But the point I kind of want to get across is that you know Ben talks about it being driven by money. I think it is, but it's actually driven by increasing usage, increasing certain user behaviour. And if you just do that off friends and family content, then actually at some point you come to a stop on that content. And so whether that's Instagram, you know, showing you stuff in Explore or stuff that isn't in your default follower list, Twitter has certainly switched more that way. And you could, you know, I don't really want to make an argument about whether it's good or bad, but it is an observation. It's bad. <laughs> that that has been a significant change and most of it is driven by the kpis or the metrics within products that say i want to have a certain amount of dwell time i want to see a certain amount of adverts i want to consume a certain amount of content so rather than being optimized around what i would say is a very user-centric experience they're optimized around extracting money from their users and actually it's quite scary the amount of average revenue that you know whether it's facebook TikTok or others are getting out of this. And it is, you know, you don't really realize it because you're not necessarily paying yourself. But that is probably a fundamental thing that happens in all products to some extent, especially when the value exchange is you get it for free, but we want your eyeballs to do certain things. So I wonder 
how much of that during the life of the 361 podcast that is a change that i think mm. is much seen and has probably accelerated because we've been talking about machine learning ai a lot it's become pretty good and the, the reality is for most people it is pretty addictive they enjoy it more they use it more and so it's being optimized to that not as a way to keep up to date with your friends and so I wonder if the social is being dropped and it's becoming more about media consumption as a whole. There were some reports recently that a significant number of people, and I genuinely don't have the numbers in front of me now, their primary news source is social media. And so actually, whilst in, in years gone by, we might have rolled our eyes at the idea that algorithmic bias or any of those kinds of things might have you know, played an important part in informing people's opinions. It genuinely is the primary place people get news, even if they're getting it from what you might consider sort of reputable or well-known news sources, the route it comes to them is through these social media sites. I did see the other day that, isn't it something like a quarter of US adults under 30 or something like that, they get their news from TikTok. Yeah. Which is pretty alarming, you know, in some ways. You might say, well, mainstream media is being controlled, but it's not by one algorithm. There might be a lot of groupthink, of course, but that's quite interesting, if not alarming, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there is a little bit of man waves fist at cloud in any of these kind of conversations. And we've specifically <laughs> said that we're going to do this by talking about our own personal usage. But yes, you know, there are various studies, you know, the famous citing of Facebook as a way of actually controlling how people do things and think and the concerns around voting in various elections. But it's also worth saying social media usage has increased. It's near universal. Kind of the estimates at the moment suggest there's about 5 billion people using social media and that's expected to go up so much like kind of phones and then smartphones themselves it has become a near universal thing and so absolutely is impacting how people do things and if you look through the different kind of audiences gen z is a particularly heavy usage tiktok and instagram rather than facebook and so it's inevitable that it affects people's view of the world i myself i think you know i look at twitter to see how people are commenting on things I probably fool myself that I'm trying to get a broad spectrum of opinions. And depending on your point of view, it's either progressive or it's very conservative or somewhere in the middle. But you know, there are occasions when I've gone, oh, I've been made semi-angry by something and then gone, uh, check yourself, go and look at one of the more neutral news sources. I mean, even that's a kind of controversial statement to make. Yeah. But what it has done is make bite-sized content and whether that's about your brand, about your favorite watch or car, or whether that's about a commentary on the news from someone who is probably not a journalist or is a journalist. You know, social media is pretty amazing about the amount of content that it puts in front of you one way or another. I think that's the other you know, point that's you know, when I, I do use it, whether that's Reddit or Instagram or LinkedIn, it's possible to consume probably 100 bits of content in just a few minutes. Yeah, because the content is optimized for very low attention span sort of browsing. I was trying to work out if there was a trend because in terms of what's turned me off Twitter so much recently, and in some respects, this almost doesn't matter because Twitter is such a comparatively small social network. I mean, many of the people listening to this will sort of be surprised at me saying that because I think they'll think like that's where I do most of my chat. It's a very, it's very Western. It's very nerdy. It's very our audience. But actually, in terms of global engagement, it was still comparatively small, but it had a large number of sort of influential people on it in terms of media and uh, lots of commentators and lots of politicians use it and various other people sort of of note. But I think the thing that's bothered me most is that first Facebook, at least this is the order I noticed it, first Facebook, and then 
Twitter with Elon Musk's acquisition. And now perhaps Reddit, as the CEO there, seems to be criticizing moderators and pushing back on the community in terms of how things have been run. They seem as they get bigger and as these problems become more apparent and as they stop being technology products and they start being much more shaped by human nature, because the scale, I mean, Twitter and Facebook, and things, these are all incredibly complex and impressive technical products that can disseminate information around the world in near real time. But after a while, you stop noticing that and you start noticing the prevalence of unpleasant opinions or strong opinions or bad actors or good actors or whatever. And it feels like almost the point where these products need doubling down on supervision, almost like more moderation and more controls. These owners, and particularly some of the newer owners, and particularly Elon Musk, you know, who says he is a, a free speech absolutist, although in another conversation on another day, I would personally argue with that because I think the evidence of his actions is that he's only his speech <laughs> should be free and everybody else's can be limited. Actually, they're almost sort of shirking their responsibility to do the right thing, and that's making these places less good. Do either of you know the Nazi bar analogy? Uh, yes, because you had mentioned that. Yeah, it's something that, that's sort of often quoted in these conversations, and I think it's really instructive. And it's about a chap telling a story that he went into a dive bar one night, and somebody came in with some... Also, <laughs> just to rebase, just I'm going to assume for the purposes of this conversation that you and I and everybody listening to this think Nazis are bad. Okay, let's okay. just start okay. there. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> so he was in a cruddy bar. A guy came in with a Nazi insignia on his biker's jacket, and the guy said, get out, you can't come in here. And subsequently, this chap was talking to the barman, and he said, why did you behave like that? And he said, because I know how this goes. That person with those views comes into my bar, and they're fine. They don't upset anybody. They sit in the corner, and they're fine. So everybody ignores them. And then they bring one friend in, and they chat to each other, and it's fine. And everybody ignores them. And then they bring another friend in, and eventually, this place becomes the place where half the place is full of Nazis. Mm. And it drives out all the people, even though everybody is completely free to say whatever they like, no one is having their speech impaired. All the people who find those views obnoxious, who don't want to associate with those views, leave. Mm. So by not taking any action, I'm not ensuring equality. I'm not ensuring fair speech and a nice experience for everybody. I've become the Nazi bar. Because some opinions exclude others, and therefore simply letting everybody say what they want is not an act of fairness and equality. No doubt, clever scientists and academics will add a lot more nuance onto that, but that made sense to me. So, you know, from here on in, we will say the Nazi bar, you know, okay. the act of allowing obnoxious opinions in that eventually drives everybody else away. And I kind of feel like that's what I experienced on Facebook. That's what I experienced or began to feel I experienced on Twitter. And so for social networks now, I feel a little bit conflicted because actually I quite liked having the free, free, the advertising supported experience where I could sit on Twitter and I could watch the world events unfolding and I could see people posting images and messages and they were there a second after they'd been posted. And yeah. I mean, if an event, if something significant was happening, you'd follow it on Twitter because you could see updates from people who were on the ground yes. in seconds. Hmm. You know, the old adage of, of Twitter keeling under the load had gone away completely. But by the same token, I kind of was then left with, well, where could I go to have conversation with nice people about the yes. topics I enjoy yes. without sort of beholding myself to having to tolerate things that began to get close to the intolerable? I mean, 
I find it less on LinkedIn, but I think that perhaps LinkedIn has like a self-censoring thing because it's so closely associated with people's careers and professional lives. Yes, work. Quite often you'll see someone say, look, I wouldn't normally post this, you know, on LinkedIn. Yeah. That's you referring to the self-censored, but then they usually go on to talk about something personal. But I think that self-censorship is really, really helpful on LinkedIn. There's a, there's a whole lot of spam on there as well. I'm interested to understand, what did you do? So you weren't happy with Twitter, and then what? So the first thing for me, and I don't know about you guys, but the first thing for me was that it was a bit of a habit, that there were certain times of the day, and it was like you know commuting or traveling or over breakfast coffee or whatever, where I instinctively put on Twitter and look through the various lists to sort of see- Is there still tweet day? What was being said. You throw up tweet day? Even on my mobile, you know, I'd still have the okay. lists there and I could flip through them. And I, you know, I used yeah. to use Tweetbot quite a lot, which was my favorite client, which was a, you know, a great third-party Twitter client before they all got killed off. And I used to do that. And, it, and it, first of all, it was quite hard to unlearn that behavior. I'm a bit disappointed with myself, actually, that I deleted the apps. And ironically, the, I think the behavior control there was I just made it difficult enough to access. For me, it was only deleting the apps that meant that actually I couldn't mindlessly go click, click, read, read, read. That kind of allowed me to then to pause. Right, but what caused that? The Nazi bar syndrome? Well, because I I made a conscious decision that I was going to step away from it for a while and then try and make a dispassionate kind of decision about would I go back to Twitter or would I not? Hmm. Because when I was sort of using it and I was getting the adrenaline high of of using it, it was a bit hard to make a subjective judgment. And actually, I personally didn't like Elon Musk, all the things he was talking about, all the type of Twitter that he was advocating for. And I thought, well, actually, I'm going to just end up staying and continuing to use the product and endorsing it by staying in the Nazi bar, by not mm. speaking up. Right. And you know, for me, some of the things he was saying and some of the things he was doing, particularly as people I knew and people I knew of and respected professionally were being affected by the layoffs and all the rounds of unpleasantness that were going on at Twitter. And of course, you know, it didn't affect me. I could still read Twitter and it hadn't broken. But I kind of felt like there comes a point where you have to act like, I don't buy the Daily Mail newspaper because I don't want to ever spend any of my money supporting an organization that behaves in those certain ways and expresses certain views. And so, you know, kind of, I try to put my money where my mouth is. And that was me putting my advertising eyes, my eyeballs where my mouth was. But I had to stop using the app. So I had to make it difficult for myself. And then, well, I say, we'll come on to Mastodon later, but mm. I deliberately went looking for alternatives. And Mastodon is one that I've settled on for the moment, but I'm not sure it's the answer. That's interesting, right? So I'll take you through a little bit of a timeline, because then I want to hear Rafe's perspective as well. Mm. I hadn't really used Twitter that much. Oh, of course, I'm reading all about Elon and the acquisition and so on and so on. And then now and again, I've popped onto it and I do not recognize it. Yeah. I find it astonishing. Like, like, what is this thing in my feed? It looks like they've changed. They're putting stuff into it. They've done the Facebook thing. Right? I'm not following that guy at all. Why is it there? I quite liked the algorithmic feed, and that's not a very popular thing to say, particularly for people of my particular sort of very centrist political leanings. But I liked the algorithmic feed because there's a time for reading chronologically, but also there's a time you know, to have the computer brain show you things it knows you're going to find interesting because you know, it well, makes it accessible. When did they introduce that? When did that happen? The algorithmic feed has been around for a long time, but the thing that oh. I noticed and I think you're talking about is not here's people that you were following, or here's people that were very close to what you're following, ordered in a non-chronological order, in a kind of an interest-based order. Here's, you know, stuff that's interesting up the top. 
what I, I noticed recently when I went back onto the app is stuff that is of no interest to me whatsoever. I can't see any link between yes. know, people I'm yes, following I mean. or yes. hashtags that I'm, you know, kind of clicked yes, it's, on it's in the It's completely past. disconnected from me. And also yeah. enough of them felt obnoxious. So yes. Terence Eden, friend of the show, I noticed he was tooting, as they, they say, I'm, I actually don't think they call it that on Mastodon, but they did for a while. And he said, I had to go back on Twitter the other day to use it. And the first thing I saw was an advert for a weapon that would be illegal in the UK. Oh my gosh. I was like, well, that hasn't <laughs> happened to me, but that is exactly kind of it. If you wanted to sort of summarize the kind of, wow, this place has changed. That was the sense that I had. Yes. So Rafe Blanford, I'm keen to sort of hear you're on there and I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but whenever I find you on social media, you're being corporate Rafe Blanford, not yes. concrete and puppies Rafe Blanford. Not that you mix concrete and puppies, you know what I mean? Like two separate and unrelated interests. Yes. Well, actually, um, concrete can make a very good flooring for a puppy pound. So you shouldn't actually completely throw that out the window. But yes, I, I take your point. And yes, I think there is definitely corporate usage for me on both Twitter and LinkedIn. And I probably haven't been able to wean myself off Twitter in quite the same way. But then there is that distinction between the for you feed which has become at least for me trash yeah trash or at least very polarizing <laughs> and then following where i still get a fair amount of value but what's interesting you know, it defaults to for you rather than uh, following that's, that's what happened to me yeah yeah i see right you know so if you're you're not using it regularly there are i think still bits of content that are good on there and so for me recently and this is mostly from a work point of view but also personally seeing the updates on what is the shiny AI thing of the day and where people have been sharing their mid-journey or daily or whatever creations. And for me, that's been useful to kind of understand and see what people are talking around about AI. But you definitely have to apply a filter to it in that you get the kind of what feels like the equivalent of, you know, salesmen trying to sell everything or the snake oil or the pyramid schemes or everything else. And so that signal-to-noise ratio has definitely got significantly worse, and the personal side of it has pretty much disappeared altogether. There are many fewer people, I should say, who I would consider following because I, I want to hear about what's going on in their life. It's been much more about some of the corporate brands, as I said, than following a hashtag or hopping on and going, oh, what's the response to that bit of news? And so the Twitter usage has changed fairly dramatically for me. I am very similar to Ben on Instagram, so I'm not going to repeat that. But the one that probably does have kind of personal usage as in occupying downtime or when I want to relax is uh, Reddit. And despite the recent bumps around that, I actually think that sense of community and going and finding curated content around particular themes is very strong. And so for me, some of those can be things like a TV series. Um, so when For All Mankind was on, I was kind of looking at that to see the theories, all the speculation. There's a Reddit called UK Personal Finance, which I found particularly useful. I know Ben's a key yeah. user of that. Yeah. And then a few things like Lego, when the latest set is out, or to see what I call mocks, my own creations, where people rebuild a set into something else. And there is still that kind of, serendipitous discovery because it will algorithmically put things into my you know ask me anything or you know dating tips you know, it can be very useful amongst other things but it's also enough of i follow these communities so it floats things to my attention which are interesting 
relevant for me, although it's not about people, it's very much about themed content. I think one of the things that was interesting about Reddit, because I was, I was an enthusiastic consumer of Reddit stuff, and Reddit is the internet's forum. And you know, when, when, when we grew up with the internet in, our, in the good old days, forums were the places that people talked to each other and exchanged information. And they weren't just for discussion. They were these rich, you know, kind of histories of problem solving. So I wanted to find out about my car and I find, oh, you know, I go onto the owner's forum and I find out 10 other people have had this problem. So my car's in the garage right now getting fixed because there's a defect with the uh, reversing camera. And I knew there was a defect with the reversing camera a year before the manufacturer acknowledged it and did a recall to fix it. Because you could see all of these owners who'd bought the product around the same time saying, does anybody else's do this? And say, oh, yeah, mine does that too. And then somebody else saying, oh, you know, I've got a a bit of technical knowledge here. I can add something in. And all of those discussions that sort of previously used to be in special interest forums felt like they were slowly or at least partially migrating to Reddit. And I felt that one of the reasons that that was so good was (laughs) there was a strong correlation between places I went and strong moderation. And I just don't mean people who were grumpy with a ban button who would eject people but you'd go into reddit and you say here are the rules we do this we do this we don't do this we do this and it was very clear what acceptable behavior was and if you didn't like it then that was okay but again in the forums i'm in there was much less uncertainty and so for example in that uk personal finance one that rafe Mm. was talking about there's a sort of big prohibition on talking about trying to speculate or gamble to make money, you know, to, to doing speculative investments or timing the market in as much as, you know, investing and then withdrawing from the market, trying to sort of ride a rising tide rather than, you know, sort of sensible, sustainable investment. And that's great. You know, the rules are up there. And, and if you want to go and talk about those topics, there's other places for you to right. do that. And I think partly back to my, does money spoil everything thing is, it feels like actually that the current problems that Reddit are having, although much of the attention has been focused on users who like to use third-party clients and sort of the very hardcore users, and they've undoubtedly been treated very poorly and the various developers have been, it almost feels like they've been libeled in some of what the chief exec has said. But the lasting impact that I worry about is actually the fact that moderators won't have all of the tools and the facilities that they used to have to volunteer their time to make these forum places nice to be because now their free labor has just got harder to do. The company doesn't seem to recognize that. And so when I was thinking about where did I want to go next, I started to think about things like Mastodon and things like that, where the only purpose for people to participate was the enjoyment and the enrichment because it was notionally impossible for anybody to sort of get rich or to own the information or to commercialize it. And so that felt appealing, but then that comes with a whole bunch of other problems that, of course, mm. I'm a white, English-speaking, male, middle-class, heterosexual, cis-presenting you know, person. You know, kind of, I, I, walk, I walk down the majority of nearly every kind of characteristic, and so after a while being on Mastodon, you start to think, like, it's lovely for me, but is it lovely for everybody else? And some people say yes, and some people say no, but you sort of think, oh, maybe I'm just going somewhere where it's fine for me for now, but actually just the unpleasantness hasn't caught up with me. You know, I'll always be one of the last groups to be offended or discriminated against or to have a, you know, to be given a hard time or to be treated badly. But actually, if I really want to go and do my social media somewhere, I should try and do it somewhere where it's kind of going to be sustainable for the long term. What is it that you want, Ben? 
It's just interesting. <laughs> what is it you want? <laughs> what, 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 you know, are you chasing after the, the Halcyon days, you know, of old? Or, you know, it's very difficult, I think, to say, oh, just these friends, because the whole point of Twitter yeah. was you had, you had a general social network or social graph. You had people that you did know, and then it would surface stuff to you. And can you specifically say, or are you able to say, this is what you'd like to achieve? I think it's hard because no, not precisely, and certainly not in a way that you could write down and code up some technology. Mm. And I think all the things I would say to you about people treating each other nicely, about anybody being able to participate regardless of their characteristics or preferences or political opinions and so on and so forth. Yes. But having speech that is to a set of rules that we all agree so that you know you, you know what you're getting. I mean, those things sort of start to appear. And that was what partially attracted me to Mastodon because Mastodon, for those unaware, that it looks superficially a lot like Twitter. You can post pictures and you can post short messages, but there's not just one set of servers like there is in Twitter. There's lots of different sets of servers. And so you could join a server, a, a group, a host, and that would have rules. Hmm. On this server, this is how we behave. And everybody here agrees to behave in the same way. And all the servers can talk to each other, but you could say, well, that server over there says it hosts Nazis, so we won't ever talk to them. We will you know, put a, a block in place. And within this server, this person keeps breaking the rules. So after a reasonable number of warnings, you know, we'll eject them. And so you could go and find your people. You, know, you could go and find your community. But that's easily said, but that's harder. But that's to- never what you were looking for, right? You were looking for plus plus, right? That, but then the ability for other stuff and we can easily reach. Like, I don't know where to find you, right? I, I've purposely held the whole Macedon question yeah. for yeah. this conversation, yeah, right? Because I see that you, you're mentioning it. What, what, what am I doing? I don't know if I've got the patience to download and go and hunt. And wh- where are you? I don't know where you are. How do I find you? I know you're Ben Smith UK on Twitter. Yeah. Well, I don't know where you are in Mastodon. I think there's two problems. And Rafa, you've probably got clever academic words for this, but my one is that all the stuff that I think feels weird on Mastodon felt weird on Twitter 10 years ago. And the only reason you know my handle on Twitter is because you spent 10 years learning it and you wouldn't have met me in the street in the past and gone, oh, yes, Ben Smith UK on Twitter. Like, you know, you've just learned that yes. and internalized yes. it. Like, I remember that the A in your name is a four. That's right. You know, like it's just yeah. because I've seen it yeah. for years and years and years. And I think you're right. Like I want somewhere that is well-run, well-moderated, a nice place to be and where there's lots of interesting people posting cool stuff and sharing things I'm interested in and all those sorts of things as well. Right. Because the key on, on Twitter or others is that you're able to, you know, people could follow you, right? They could find, they could discover you. Say some magic words, Rafe. <laughs> on demand. I mean, I think what Ben alluded to there is actually what is it that makes a product sticky or what is that product fit and value exchange? And for him, Mastodon is actually pretty good, but Ben is not a typical user. And so for me, the question is interesting. Like There was definitely a push to are there alternatives to Twitter and how much of that was driven by real experience and how much of that was driven by all the media and the noise around Elon Musk take over, it's hard to say. But what I think I could say fairly confidently is there hasn't been a mass migration. And the problem for me with Macedon is the design principle at the heart of it for being distributed creates friction and gets in the way of a kind of very smooth understanding and reading of your social graph. 
And also, like Ben alluded to, that product maturity, it's basically Twitter from 10 years ago. Let's come back to that in a second. But I also just wanted to jump in and say one more thing, which is I started that journey thinking, what I hate are billionaires who want to impose their view of the world on the social network and therefore make it obnoxious to me because I don't share their view of the world. And I thought basically what I wanted was no more Elon Musk's, essentially, or Mark Zuckerberg's, you know, and that I'd go somewhere without them. But actually, although it's to a far lesser extent, the thing I've learned subsequently as well is that it's not just profit motive that makes people behave in ways that I don't like. So for example, Mastodon is designed that you can install it yourself, you can run it yourself, you can make your own community, you can go tick, 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 tick on all of those. Are there rules? Are there moderators? You know, kind of, is it a nice place to be boxes? And you think, wow, you know, what a brilliant thing. How could you possibly complain about that? But the design of the product, what it does and what it doesn't do and what it allows you to do and all those sorts of things, that is still managed by one single developer. And so I ran away from Elon Musk because he was, in my view, I'll do the family friend. He was being an idiot, in my view. Right. And he was being an idiot to the tune of billions of dollars. But it feels like there is at least a reasonable risk and possibly a little evidence that in other places, um, now what's the acronym? BDFL. So some of these open source projects that you hear about, and Mastodon is one of them, have BDFLs, and it's called the Benevolent Dictator for Life, is the acronym. And what that means is he's not going to get rich because he's made the lovely thing and he's put it out there in the community and he continues to make it. And maybe even, as Eugen now has with Mastodon, has created a, a foundation and it's being funded through community and all those sorts of things. You think, what a lovely guy. And then you find some group or some behavior that are poorly served who are then ignored you know, by that benevolent dictator for life. And if you are, I'm going to pick an easy one, but there are, there is much more nuance. If you are visually impaired and the person who runs the Mastodon product says, I'm never going to build any accessibility features into my product, you won't be able to use the product because it won't work with your accessibility needs. Now, in this case, actually, Mastodon is well served for people with disabilities, but actually various other groups of people who've come into Hughes Mastodon have sort of complained that their needs haven't been met particularly well. It's been hard to moderate. It's been hard to share information. It's been hard to build communities of certain types. And so, you know, there's still one guy and it's always a guy and it's nearly always a white guy. There's always one guy who being an idiot could spoil things for everyone. And that mm. still worries me slightly. Rafe, you must have clever things to say about this. I think it isn't just the product itself, although I absolutely see that. And I think, don't think it's any different to when one person comes to dominate it. And it's the hippo effect. In that case, it's the highest paid person's opinion. And you can see that happening in startups sometimes mm. as well. I'm pretty sure that you and I have seen that in a boardroom, you know, in some of our consulting gigs as well, where you know there's the right answer and there's the hippo answer. I couldn't comment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it all stems from the same thing about not thinking about the user centricity of it or the value exchange or the product fit or the audience or everything like that. And it's interesting, that's come much more to the fore because I think there's a much wider awareness and understanding of what it means to build inclusive products. And that's come from, frankly, the maturity of digital. It's not about serving the 10% that are geeky. And if you think about the original social media products based around that, so this stuff really matters. 
in the case of Mastodon, it's not just about the products, it's also about the instances of it, because mm. each instance of Mastodon effectively has a benign dictator setting the moderation rules and some of the rules behind the way the individual, it's probably best to think of it as a server, is run. And so there are some really intrinsic kind of governance and ethic questions around all of that, just as that there are on arguably the startups on Twitter, on the big corporates, and you know what is their motivation? We talked about you know that being financially driven at the beginning. I sort of described it as kind of growth marketing, the idea that you meet your KPIs. Actually, it can be just as I'm going to use this kind of strong word, just as toxic if you've also got that coming from an individual's opinion and it's not about criticizing individuals or people but it is about what is the driving force behind these things so it's going to be you know interesting to see what happens there but also there are others trying to get in on the twitter party blue sky with evan williams is one of those i've been waiting on the waiting list haven't got in Mm. Um, clearly my geek credentials are, are less than they used to be there's leaks from Meta that indicates that Instagram is going to do something. Medium have done it. The threads. Yeah, and there's there's a bunch yeah. of them. But it's interesting. What I think is there is like the network effect of these things is so incredibly strong. It's quite hard to disrupt the established players. But it's not untenable because TikTok sort of came out of nowhere and now has yeah. billions of users. I'd also point out Open Chat GPT, not a social network. But that's, you know, gone past 250 million users in a very short period of time. So what it says to me is you need to differentiate in order to stand out. And a lot of the Me Too stuff, so, oh, we'll build a better Twitter or one that's not run by Elon Musk, sort of is failing. And I think if you look back at the social networks and our own kind of usage of them, it it is quite apparent that, you know, it goes back to core product stuff, unique value proposition, that value exchange. And Twitter was the one that kind of got those text updates right. You know, people can call back to earlier things. Instagram was first with videos. Uh, You could argue that TikTok really cracked video and, and, and. And Facebook was a bit different because I actually think that was about the social graph and friends and families seeing a combination of updates. But you can look at all of them and kind of pull things out. And so when we talk about new social media or new things that we've tried, you know, you look at it fundamentally, it comes back to core product principles of addressing an audience in a way that they want to be addressed. And that is essentially kind of product fit, but also doing something that will have enough of an effect to pull people in, you know, that acquisition, that hook or whatever else. And I could talk a lot more about the product principles that underlie these, but it's interesting when it comes to it, those are the things that often drive the changes in the social media space despite people thinking they're driven by bigger cultural trends or ownership or things like that. And so much of what drives social media, and you can definitely talk about attention spans and access to content and all of that, those are important. But actually, it hasn't changed much in the last 10 years. What about MySpace? When are we going to talk about MySpace? (laughs) What's MySpace? I don't want to talk about MySpace particularly, but I do want to talk about Nextdoor (laughs) because Nextdoor, again, for those that don't know, is a sort of a a local network that's supposedly tied to it being a social network of the people you yeah. live near. Your postcode or your zip code, right? Yeah. yeah. And and you and you said earlier, like, what do you want? I accept Rafe's mm. observation that actually thinking about kind of not just, oh, this is nice, you know, superficially nice, but trying to think about actually I'm going to be thoughtful about where I go and where I invest my time because I don't want to support things I don't like, but also I want to 
if I'm going to start to build a network and to communicate with people, I, you know, I don't want it to be taken away again. I feel less, a sense of loss with the social networks that I've backed out of before. But actually, the problem with Nextdoor is a family member who lives close to us was sort of relaying that local politics moved on to Nextdoor and you know, sort of there were local elections at any other time trivial. You know, kind of the smallest kind of council in the, in the UK, uh, parish councils and local councils and those sorts of things. Very, very local politics, not as particularly exciting. Yeah. But the debate had got so heated and some of the arguments about things that, you know, sort of what the community wanted to do and didn't want to do became so heated. And not that there was that diversity of opinion, because that diversity of opinion might have come out in the meetings where people would, would meet face to face to make decisions about these things. But there was a lot of disinformation. People with loud voices and persistence were able to repeat over and over again things that were factually untrue. And you know, it became the dominant thing that that group discussed. And I just got to the point where you know, he, was t- he was sort of retelling me their story. And I thought, oh, yeah, that, that just feels so familiar that actually maybe it's not worth the effort anymore. Like Maybe all spaces where people you don't know, people where the normal social conventions of politeness and talking to people and the kind of the rules that you have face to face or people you interact with face to face don't exist. Perhaps conversation is always going to degrade in that way. And so maybe actually, perhaps social media isn't what I want anymore. And I should just text my friends, you know, I should get in a group chat and I should WhatsApp those five or six people that I really like to stay in touch with or, you know, the friends from university or the techies I always ask for advice or whatever. And I should just Mm. stop, you know, thinking that social media is going to be a source of of entertainment. Stop looking for it. Yeah. Well, I was just really shocked when I thought, you know, kind of like on Twitter, you know, kind of it's all big global stuff and you can sort of, Elon Musk feels very far away and it's all sort of a bit conceptual. And, you know, some of it is about voting with my wallet just for the principle of the thing, you know, doing the right thing. So I feel I've done the right thing. Yeah. Next door is about people I will see in the streets, you know, talking about issues that are literally mm. outside my front door and having discussions about schools and footpaths and transport and pets and road safety and all those sorts of things, which whilst are less important, they're, they're there, they're really real, you know, and in some respects, they possibly are more impactful to my life, you know, whether somebody builds a horrible building or right. we have a safe road in our neighborhood or whether somebody raises money for the school or doesn't raise money for the school actually probably will make a more direct impact onto the sort of the quality of our community. And yet even there, those conversations have sort of degraded into sort of the obnoxious behavior. I mean, oddly, <laughs> I was kind of laughing that, you know, as we grew up with social media, a lifetime with our parents telling us that, you know, sort of it wasn't real and you shouldn't spend too much time on it. And now actually it's going to rot your brain. Their age yeah. group is struggling with it just as much as we are, because it's just as obnoxious in those sorts of circles as well. So I don't know what I want, going back to your question, but I think Rafe's right that it's probably not a technology answer. Right now, the more I look at what's going on, the less inclined I feel to do social media. And so I keep thinking, what are the things I feel are valuable and what are the things that I would like to have access to? So whenever I would have posted something in UK personal finance or whenever Neither, I would answer a yeah. question on the coffee Reddit that I really like or something of that ilk, you know, perhaps I should just go to my blog and write it down as well, because then, you know, nobody's sitting there waiting for me to say, oh, by the way, if you've got this grinder, you know, this is where the screw goes if it falls out or something like that. But then somebody will find it through Google at some point and 
should we be putting that information somewhere sort of more sustainable so that it's not beholden to Reddit? Because the other week, actually, at the end of the last show, you remember I was talking to you about chargers? I was saying I was having a dreadful time trying to find chargers. Yeah. All of the discussion for nerds who are looking for great products and recommended it, it's all on Reddit. And when Reddit went private behind that sort of privacy wall for a couple of days as a protest, all of that content, all of those recommendations, all of that experience was lost. Huh. And I thought, you know, kind of if the Reddit thing plays out in the worst possible way, it could be lost forever. And, you know, some CEO might lose his job, but actually those of us who have interests in sort of, in sort of special interest communities will be far worse off because it's all of us who can find what we want when we want to find it. The more I listen to you, Ben, I, I wonder why you aren't using Be Real. Because <laughs> that has been a very strangely valuable one for me. So Tom's a university friend of mine, yeah. best man at my wedding, and gave an annoyingly good, uh, not annoyingly, it was a really, really good speech that made me look uh, slightly crazy, but uh, it was very well received, and, and he's, a, he's a genius. I know it must be good because your wife recounted some of it to me over a glass of wine one time when we were all out together. Yeah. <laughs> So I happened to say, oh, I'm going to try Be Real. And I think I, I mm. shared it with James, other university friend who just didn't use it. I think he registered and didn't use it. And Tom and I, for a year, more than a year, more or less every day, are connected by it. Now, so I'll do a photo, he does a photo, right? And then what's interesting here is I am well connected to the both of you, okay? But, but, but I am better connected to Tom than the two of you. I'm doing a podcast with you guys. I'm better connected to him. I'd say way more, right? Because every day, whenever I look at Be Real, I take my photo. Like today, I did it in the gym. And actually, you happen to be chatting to me on yes. our WhatsApp group. So I sent you the same photo, right? Oh, it was a secondhand photo, was it? Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't the same. No, no, because Be Real doesn't do, right? It takes a photo at the same time of you, your face, your you, your, your selfie. And then the, the photo. So you can't you just send a photo, right? You can't upload a photo. It's real time. I think Rafe and I were under the impression that you'd taken that photo just for us, you see, not to share with your other friends as well. No, it's just you happen to be chatting and I was doing my B-reel at the same time. Now, I wonder, you know, isn't it interesting that I know more about what he's doing? I see his family on these photos. I see he's working, he's gone on a bike ride, except he's at the pub, he's just had a sausage roll, etc. These are all things that it doesn't really matter, but I feel more connected to him, right? But you're not doing that. So I don't know what you're doing during the week. So I'm feeling some peer pressure here, but I'm going to have to be completely honest. I think I can probably live without seeing a picture of you in the gym every day. <laughs> Maybe feel guilty for never going to the gym. Right, but wait, wait, hold on a minute. It's not, of course, it's not me in the gym every day, right? It's whatever I'm doing. It's about that, that connection, was that, which then enables you to say, oh yeah, what was that thing about? And now and again, you know, it spurs and creates a conversation on WhatsApp between us, right? Not on Be Real. For me, and I don't, Rafe, I'm interested to hear what you think about this, but for me, that's not social networking because for me, social networking is about oh, okay. having a yeah. broader community of people I follow right. or listen to who I don't know in person. And, you know, so I sort of basically recreated my following from scratch on Mastodon. And I'm not advocating Mastodon, it's just the story I have to tell. But, there, there are journalists, home automation people, other podcasters, tech geeks, people who work in government IT. They're all those things of where I kind of want to know about all those topics. I want to know what's the latest idea, who said this, what conference is going on. But actually, for 
here's a picture of the kids, like, you know, kind of your daughter's birthday. You know, like, oh, she's mm, had a great birthday. Yes. Here's a picture of her with a cake. Or yeah. the boys had a great game of football. Here's a picture of us celebrating. Or I'm in a really nice hotel on this trip. Ha ha, you know, sucks to be you, yeah. not in a, in a rubbish hotel. All that kind of casual stuff, for me, I mean, yeah, you might use Be Real as the thing to go ping, you know, send Ben and Rafe a funny me- message or whatever, but that's private. Yeah. Like it's our social group that already exists. And so I kind of, in my head, maybe I've got too much of a mental block about this, but I long, long time ago stopped posting deeply personal stuff, you know, about here's a picture of my house, here's a picture of my cat, here's a picture of my tea, you know, kind of I've had a row with my next door neighbor, you know. We miss those. (laughs) But, you know, conversations that we might have privately with friends, like not, 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 not that I was ever sharing stuff inappropriately. And I've a long time since stopped putting that on Twitter or anything like that, because yeah. that wasn't the place for it. You know, and actually, if we're going to have a chat about, God, I had a rubbish day at work and Dave was an idiot again, you know, like, I'm gonna, probably going to text you and Rafe that, and we can have a moan about, you know, kind of hard days at work, or, oh, it's, you know, I've got to travel and I, I hate it, or, or I haven't traveled in ages and I wish I could get on a plane and go somewhere warm. That's all private, personal chat for me. Right. It's interesting. I mean, perhaps that's the other change and sort of talked about a couple of them through this podcast. But in this case, it's about what you are willing to share in public. And I think social media has always had the concept of direct messages or private or restricted access. And that remains the case. You know, your permission settings are significantly more sophisticated than they were. But there is that default. Is this something I'm sharing to the world or is this something I'm sharing to close friends? And I think there's a parallel here with using social media in the sense that Ben thinking about it and then using it as kind of an extension of your messaging services. And we sort of talked about dark social earlier, that idea that there's stuff you don't want to kind of broadcast in public. And actually, mm. many people use Instagram in that way as an example. They have, you know, restricted accounts. Mm, private accounts, yeah. Yeah. I think Be Real is an extension of that, but Be Real is also an example of that hook. I think the reason it's worked for Ewan is he's prompted every day to take that photo and he did just enough to establish a behavior pattern over probably a two-week period. And now it's almost instinctive when he sees that notification, oh, I need to send that photo in. And I can see what Tom's doing. I get the reward, right? And, you know, that nudge behavior yes, yes. and the theory, you get the reward and it's cleverly set up as a, a bit of a hook. But I've also noticed, and this is talking about our own usage, we will sometimes have conversations back and forth on a WhatsApp group or a, a text chain. And we've actually got multiple groups that we're all part of that are things that may have traditionally been on a Twitter thread mm. or something like that, because there's that definite push towards greater privacy or control over what you're seeing, what you're saying, because that's yes. also something that is very much in the public domain. And you know, there's all kinds of things around people doing a Google search, finding out about you, and whether that's you know personal or indeed your work life, that has now become a thing. So for me, it's, you know, in a lot of ways, social media has lost its age of innocence and it's very easy, again, to get your walking stick out and wave it over your head. But if I was going to try and simplify it down, it's that loss of innocence because social media went so mass market, but also you know, it's the way the world works. And unfortunately, that's, you know, in some cases, it's been a good thing, adoption. And I do think it's democratized access to certain things. But Ben was talking about this earlier with his Nazi bar and everything else. Mm. You know, the good comes with the bad. Mm. It's not actually my bar, just to be clear for listeners. Yeah. Yeah, the analogy. And actually, I think that's been reflected all through this conversation that we've just had. But that universal truth is still there about greater connections to each other. And that's 
what still drives a lot, you know, when Ewan talks about his friend, that's about having a connection. When we have the WhatsApp things, it's a, a connection. And so for me, that divergence between social media is a way of consuming media and a way of connecting to people. And, you know, one's gone very public. And I think TikTok is like the epitome of that. One has gone more to connections and that's where things sitting inside messaging services or where you're using private versions of it. Will that come back together again? That's probably the next 10 years. The question I've got for both of you is when we were recording the podcast in the previous seasons, we relied heavily on Twitter. Yeah. You know, I, I would check Twitter regularly to see what people were saying and responding to the show and so on. So is that still something we're going to use? I mean, is it still relevant? What are we going to do? So as a factual thing, is 361 Podcast still on Twitter and will we monitor it and reply to messages? Yes. Because I don't think right. that there's a good answer that says, yeah, Twitter is wrong and Thing X is right. But we also do now have a presence on Mastodon for people who prefer to use mm -hmm. it. And I think we will go broad now. And, and again, I'm, I'm in the business of setting it up, but also trying to create a mechanism to talk to us that's convenient, that's not social media. Because of course, oftentimes the reason people sent a tweet was because that was the two-click way to write a comment to us whilst they were listening to an episode. You know, they had the Twitter up on their phone, you know, and click, click, click. Right. Idiots, you know, you got that wrong or you forgot this, you know. Right, exactly. No, but you'll see other podcasts will, are, are using Discord, right? There's a Discord channel that you can actually, you know, you join. Yeah. Or Instagram. Should we be also opening our minds a little bit to that? Yes, probably. I think the other thing, though, is a sense of scale and perhaps what I've become more cautious about is making places for people to have conversations because when you cross the line from being a participant in the room, like you're on Twitter, to inviting people into a room that you set up, like a conversation in discourse, which yes. is, you know, it might be on discourse, but you created the channel and you invited people in and now you're hosting them. Discord. Discord. Sorry, Discourse is the forum tool. Yeah, yes. Yeah, but they're not the same. And I'm sorry. Thank you for your correction. <laughs> All feedback is a gift. Exactly. <laughs> but on Discord, you know, you start to create places where you invite people in and you tend to bear some responsibility for all the creating the nice environment and the rules that I talked about earlier, I think. So yes. where yes. we can yeah. and where it's scalable and sustainable, we will. I'm watching with interest podcasts with many thousands more listeners than we have going through that journey as well to see if we can learn from them. But we're certainly going to try some experiments. The final thing I kind of wanted to say as well, which I think kind of might sort of scupper this whole conversation, but could be a topic for a few today, is this week, Facebook have started to talk about launching their Twitter competitor. I think it is going to be called Threads, but it's Project 92 or Barcelona have been the code names that people might have heard if you've been reading tech press and stuff. There is a reasonable chance that that will use ActivityPub. What's ActivityPub? ActivityPub is the protocol that things like Mastodon and some other products are built on. Hooray, that would be great, wouldn't it? Like, isn't it brilliant that all the things could talk to all the things? Yeah. Well, all of those conversations we've just had about these spaces having distinct characteristics and having quite you know, different aims and objectives start to get really confused. Let's put it politely, because there's been some pretty strong opinions this week. They start to get very confused when, imagine if you logged into Twitter and not only was it Twitter there, but a whole bunch of people doing Facebook stuff, behaving Facebooky on your Twitter feed. Or think about if you went to LinkedIn and a load of Twitter type content went in. It's really stark when people start to post 
personal messages or distressing messages or yeah. uh, frivolous stuff in LinkedIn. And I think there's a lot of mileage to go, Rafe's right on this, but also the strict delineation between technology, product, and the culture of that place or how it feels to be there today, I think is going to become much more confused because whilst it's Activity Pub today and joining up the Facebook product with some of what is currently the sort of the most enthusiastically open and sort of, how can I put it, more sensitive to these issues, kind of communities like the Fediverse and like like Mastodon are. Blue Sky, the other project from the mm. Twitter founders that Rafe talked about earlier, is also based on a protocol that's intended to be open. And so we're starting to see, you know, kind of a second round of these things potentially being joined up or, you know, having a much more complex ecosystem. So it's really interesting to see where that's going. But for now, I don't think there are any good answers. And I think everyone who says that they know for sure what good looks like is probably talking nonsense. Right. Well, there you go. That was a solid hour and a bit for us to tell you that we don't know the answer to that question, but uh, I suppose that's what you come for. <laughs> Gentlemen, if we wanted to find you on social media, let's see if we can do this. You called me out, Ewan, for saying it's too complicated. Oh. If you wanted to find you on social media, where would people find you on social media and how would they find you on social media? So, what, me? Yeah. Are you individually? Okay. You. Well, I'm on Twitter, EW4N, but I'm, uh, I, yes, I'm still there. Then LinkedIn. Okay, so, yeah. so let's just replay this as a scenario. We've met in a bar, we're having a good chat, and you say, hey, where yep. can I follow you? Where can I hear <laughs> about you and McLeod? And you say, ah, oh, I'm on... You're probably better on LinkedIn, actually, if you want to know what I'm up to, yeah. LinkedIn. Which is www.linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash E-W-A-N-M-A-C-L-E... Jeez. There you go. So LinkedIn. LinkedIn's Excellent. probably better. Let's talk yeah. more about how Mahab Mastodon is. Okay, Ref Blanford. <laughs> Just put in Rafe Blanford and the social media name and you'll find me. <laughs> oh, very cool. Rafe Blanford is everywhere. Yes. And that's R-A-F-E. Rafi. Rafi B. Blanford. And I decided I was going to cover all my bases. So I set up my own little personal site, like a landing page. So you can go yeah. to bensmith.uk and there I've got links to the social profiles I'm Ooh. actually using. You can go to ewan.net. I've got, I've got that. Including my Mastodon one as well. Right. And that was back to that thing of, you know, perhaps I need to take more control of this rather than linking people directly just to the places where they could follow me. Yes. Anyway, chaps, it's always been fascinating to talk to you. If people would like to follow the show, we are 361podcast at mastodon.social or probably the easiest thing to do is to go to 361podcast.com. Yeah. There you can follow the RSS feed. You can send us feedback, but you can also find links to our social media accounts and you can follow us wherever you would prefer. As ever, thank you very much for all your feedback and all your kind comments whilst we were away. If you've got any topics you'd like us to cover, we'd love to hear them. And if you've got any feedback, particularly on this show, about have you changed your approach to social media and particularly in the light of some of the topics we've talked about, we'd love to hear it. We will be doing follow-ups on these episodes to reflect what people have told us. So, gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. We will be back in a fortnight. Bye-bye. Right then, post-show. Right, no jokes this week. I haven't got any. Have you bought anything new uh, since we last spoke? What new things have you bought? <laughs> Come on, you can tell us. You can tell Uncle Yen. Yeah. Oh, he has, listeners. He's actually gone and bought. Come on. Is this a massive Amazon box of gizmos? What's this? What is it? So, oh, gosh. because yeah. my office was filling up with things that I had recently purchased but not had time to play with, Yeah. the thing I have most recently purchased is... what. This basket for putting things I've recently purchased. <laughs> oh my, is that that's your current purchased <laughs> purchased to be processed? Yeah, exactly.
my office looks like a tip most of the time. So I now have several baskets for inbound stuff. <laughs> you like things that need scanning, things that need opening, things that need replacing or fixing, and that kind of stuff. So yes, but I've been traveling a lot more for work recently. So actually, joking aside, the other thing I've done is I used to just leave everything in my bag. Yeah, like you know, my keyboard, my charging cable, everything, and throw my laptop in and go. And because I've been doing lots of different trips, you know, some multiple days away, some trips to see clients where we're going to do presentations and stuff, and sometimes just to the office where there is charging and a screen and things to use already. What I've done now is I've made myself like a whole bunch of pouches of different configurations of stuff. So I can go in the basket and go, oh, it's a client presentation day. I need my MiFi dongle. I need my HDMI adapter. I need my extra wires. I need my spare gizmo. Get the big pouch. Oh, I'm just going to the office. <laughs> it's quite complicated. Yeah, go on. It's three. I've got three pouches. I've got okay. big travel, small travel, and overseas travel. Wow. And different combinations. And they sit in a basket and I can just grab them. Because the problem was, I was basically lugging everything around. Everything. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. getting on the train and going to London and feeling like I sort of was weighed down because I was carrying the same kind of loadout that I would need for a week in Barcelona. Like back in the days when we used to do a conference and you have all of the just-in-case stuff with you. You know how it is. Mm, mm. I've also developed a bit of a uh, Logitech problem. So I'm now on my fourth or fifth Logitech MX keyboard. I'm going through different variations, trying to work out which one I like most. But mm. if you'd like to know about that, you can ask me because I have all of them. <laughs> I think we should come to that in another episode. But let's hear from I want to know. Rafe, what have you purchased recently? I haven't really managed to purchase anything in the last five days since we recorded an episode. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Okay, yeah. yeah. Likewise, I haven't purchased anything beyond Shake Shack. <laughs> one more then. I'll do one for Rafe. <laughs> this is cheating because this is something I organised a few weeks back. But we've talked in the past shows about we really love our Peak Design rucksacks. I think they are great for IT stuff. Right. But I also really like, and I would recommend, Wanders, W-A-N-D-R-D. It's no vowels except the A. And they make really good rucksacks and tech gear. And the reason I particularly like them at the moment, I'm waving around my, my most recent purchase, is they do a whole bunch of pouches and packing equipment and things. They're comparatively affordable compared to Peak Design, but they're of a similar quality. The gear in there is safe. It's all nicely lined and stuff's not going to get scratched and things. So I really like their stuff. So I mean, Peak Design is excellent as well, but if you want another recommendation, another name to check out when you're looking for stuff, hmm. particularly you know for carrying and fetching stuff, then that is recommended. By the way, I'm in Barcelona on Friday. See? I'll send you a photo. Get you. So Riyadh on Monday, hmm. Barcelona on Friday. Hmm. Dubai on Sunday. It's sounding a lot like a holiday to me. A lot like a holiday. <laughs> right then, we should wrap up. Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you've listened all the way to the end... Uh, <laughs> Lots of love. Yeah. Rafe Blanford will come around and take your order for a, a custom thank you card at some point. Yes, exactly. We need to do something like that soon. Come on. Okay. Okay.